0: This is Carol Howard Merritt, and you're listening to Frequency.fm. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another Frequency podcast episode, and we're live, 10 p.m. Atlantic time and oh, what time is it in in pacific 6 time? Uh,
1: 6 p.m pacific 6 yeah. p.m pacific coast to coast with frequency yeah, there you whatever. go <laughs> i
0: and right off the bat joe i gotta say we had four dumpings of snow i'm not going to have a whole weather talk because we talk enough about the weather differences but <laughs> we had like 108 centimeters of snow or you know m- multiple feet of snow here so we're just yeah. digging out now
1: Yeah, we didn't get anything like that. Today, here, it was about 45 degrees. Uh, When I walked out of the building after work today, and I left work about four, um, there was rain, sunshine, and snow all at the same time. Wow. Uh, So it's a little, let's call it schizophrenic (laughs) weather-wise here, Uh, but I'll take that over you know mountains of snow I'm not I'm not into that stuff
0: Yeah I think we're getting to the point where we're tired of it too <laughs> Yeah but I mean that's what you get for living in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean during the winter time so hey Um I do want to say also that um you know, congrats to those who are our Patreon um, supporters because they've actually listened to our interview ahead of time. Um, so if, if folks uh, have not had a chance to go in and um, sign up to, to support us financially, um, we'd, we'd encourage you to do so. Uh, not just so that we can go buy stuff. The whole point is so that we can be equipped and empowered to, to um to have better content and tools to, um, provide a better product and be able to get in front of people, um, a lot quicker and a lot easier. And, um, I mean, there's lots of reasons that, um, we'd love to have the support. Um, but there are incentives for doing so. And, um, one of them is getting the, uh, interviews sort of in raw format when we're done with them. Uh, Um, I know Joe, you shared our uh, recent episode on there yesterday, I believe, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. And, um, I've engaged with, uh, I'm learning the tools on Patreon. I'm trying to figure those out. They're actually not that difficult, but you know, I'm not hundred percent familiar, but I'm able to send messages to all the patrons and say, Hey, you know, take a look at our, you know, look at our past uh, you know, archive. And, uh, if there's an interview there that you particularly enjoyed and you're interested in what it sounded like before we edited it, let us know Mm -hmm. assuming that we screen it first and make sure that it's it's appropriate to share but (laughs) you know that's we want to engage with people who are part of the the patron list to say you know what how can we best serve you um how can we show our appreciation to you for um your willingness to support us you know whether it's a buck or five or i think we've got a 50 dollar patron out there Mm -hmm. but um we'll have to figure out some way to to thank him uh, on a more regular basis but yeah, it's fun. It's kind of fun to be able to get creative about um, how we can support folks, yeah, as they support us.
0: Yeah, I know you and I have talked, Joe. Uh, I mean, we've been doing this for over four years now, and um, actually, we've been doing this for longer than that in in other mm-hmm. worlds um, with the Songwriters Cafe and all about worship back in the day, um, and it's actually encouraging. As we've continued on and stayed with this and stayed the course, and we do have a you know a dedicated following of listeners, which we appreciate very much, um, it's neat to actually look back and know that we can still interact and engage with anyone that we've ever uh, dealt with in the past. Um, so actually, even yesterday, uh, I was on Twitter and I saw uh, Wisdom Moon has a church marketing Twitter handle. Um, That's right, yeah. So I... Um, connected on there. I think it was yesterday and he connected back this morning. So, um, and wisdom is, is in the Nashville scene now working in the music industry. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a blessing to see, um, his career, um, catapult into what, what he felt called to do and to see how God's really worked in his life. So, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's an encouragement.
1: I think you celebrated like yesterday or today, two years, two-year mm-hmm. anniversary with integrity so that's pretty exciting yeah I mean, it's also kind of crazy how quickly time flies uh, is uh, we look at the number of episodes we've done and you know everything that has occurred I'm looking at my son who's gonna be nine this year and it freaks me out But <laughs> you know but you know I get that my daughter will be 23 next month time needs to slow down
0: well, Wow! Anyway. yeah yeah exactly well, and speaking of slowing down, I've got to pause for a second, or my computer's gonna die. My battery's... i am on battery oh. power right now. So hang on, just for a second.
1: Do 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 If you listen carefully, you can hear Dan shuffling around as he tries to plug in his computer. I know this is the reason that you tune into frequency so you can hear little things like this. And uh, oh, here he is. He's putting his headphones back on. Look it's Dan. And we have so power. I, yeah. And I don't think we're going to edit that. We're going to leave that in because did, I know that's the quality audio that people are looking
0: <laughs> for. Did, did you did you narrate that? <laughs> I did. I narrated the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should actually share the video, the raw video with our Patreon supporters. Just so that yeah, we could probably do that. See me feverishly running around my house trying to find my plug
1: well then they'd see the shirt that i'm wearing in solidarity with the, the recent terror attacks in sweden
0: yeah so i noticed you i could read stockholm since whatever uh, um, on 1252 your... okay
1: is the uh, the capital of sweden that's what it says
0: ah okay
1: so uh, my wife's uh, best friend and husband live in sweden and so each year i get a new sweden shirt um, I was just particularly proud of this one, considering kind of the silliness of the news of late. So
0: Yes, which I don't think we have to go into because it's probably all no, over no. everybody's social feeds.
1: Well, and frankly, I think, you know, I think we're all done. We're all cooked. Yes. Uh, you know, and I, we try to find humor in it. And um, I think it's good to focus on more positive things like, you know, like uh choosing a new church name and uh reaching millennials and trying to understand what they they are expecting uh out of a worship service and that I mean, that's what we're focused on as a church, which mm. I think is kind of cool, considering that lines right up with a lot of our the conversation that we're featuring today uh on the podcast,
0: yeah, yeah, and I think it's um good to note that we actually have a number of more interviews coming up if we want to let people know um mm-hmm. we've, there's a an artist that's been forwarded to us that I'm going to connect with shortly. And also um, uh, what's his name is it Joel? No, this is not, this is not being <laughs> edited, Joe. I have a terrible memory here. <laughs> um, anyways, we got a number of artists. Uh, I, I think it's Joel Vaughn. Um, are, are you
1: talking the one, uh, the, the gentleman that uh, uh, who sh- Shannon sent information over Shannon over at integrity?
0: Yeah, that was Joel one Buck- of them. Joel Buckner, Buckner, yeah. Um, and actually, I listened to his music, and and he's got a great voice. Um, yeah, so I I look forward to listening to his stuff, and I'll we'll try to connect with him. And um, well, but the one I was talking about is um, Joel Vaughn, who's a an artist, a signed artist out of California um, with the Dream Label Group. Uh, Joel Vaughn he's he's just a, a young guy but he's he's more in the pop dance realm um, yeah and actually my son I think would like him because he likes uh, Matthew Parker who's a more of an EDM artist Um, but he's a singer now for songwriter people who are older
1: uh, EDM is what uh, electric electronic dance music so it stands for
0: yes that's correct you
1: don't know you no, just it is. know what EDM. Oh,
0: okay. Well, there's EDM, and then there's there's dubstep.
1: I, I actually like dubstep. I think more than EDM. There's something about dubstep that just has a kind of uh, interesting vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little less hypnotic, let's say.
0: Yeah, and you would actually, um, if you watched our feed recently, we shared a a blog post that Joel actually penned. Um, it was like an encouragement, oh, right. yeah. encouragement to artists. So anyways, I have connected with Joel and, um, he, he's excited to come on the podcast. So we'll get a chance to talk to him about what it's like to enter the music industry nowadays. Uh, because honestly, there is not a lot of CCM artists even get to be in a record label is really a sort of a crapshoot. Um, like even if you watch the Grammys and the, the, the big rap artist who never sold an album. He only had his music on SoundCloud and he won three Grammys. Yeah. I yeah, mean,
1: Chance the Rapper. Yeah,
0: Chance the Rapper. So um times are changing. The music industry is changing and it's almost getting unpredictable.
1: Yeah. Which is exciting uh for us as, let's say, consumers, uh, because it means that the the variety is probably more broad than it's ever been, uh, but I, but it terrifies me as I think about artists and people who are trying to establish some stability, you know, uh, whether it's financial or uh, whatever. Uh, it's it you use the right word crapshoot. You know who knows what's what's going to work and what's not going to work, and you know I think about people like Ross King and like okay is he going to be able to pay his bills this month? And mm-hmm. I think it all depends on how people that you know. Uh, the market kind of feels uh, at a given time. It's
0: yeah. scary. And then, I mean, you have the allure of the known names, like even Gaither Music Group, um, who can put out whatever they want and they know they'll have a market. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's other artists out there like Jackie Velasquez, Velasquez, mm-hmm. sorry, who's making a comeback. Um, so, you know, what's the motivation for that? Well, I'm bored. I've had my kids, you know, or have I run out of money? Like, I don't know the motivations of the artists. Maybe she was just encouraged enough to say, Hey, you know, that, that whole eighties, nineties vibes coming back. Now's your chance. Who knows? Um,
1: Uh, maybe we should like see if we can talk to her.
0: Yeah. I think that'd be a good Uh, idea. Um, now I will be honest. I found her pretentious back in the day. Um, when she was on, well, when she was on the Dove Awards as a new artist of the year, I, I stuck my finger in my mouth, like gave me with a spoon. (laughs) I'm just being honest. Um, you know, I, I just found that it was just, she was just very overdone as a person. I don't know if she was told to be that way or if that was just her, It, it was just sort of like, really? You know, and then to have, like, a guy like Stephen Curtis Chapman on the same broadcast, you know, with the humility and sort of the the family guy look, it was just, there was such a contrast. Yeah, I get it. So, but enough about my opinion. Yeah, nobody really cares. <laughs> so, t- so today's episode, uh, interview feature, is with um, a father-daughter duo that you had a chance to talk to just before Christmas, actually. Uh, but just yep. the way timing worked, um, we're not getting it out until now. But um, Rick Kirkpat- Rich Kirkpatrick um, is an author, but um, he's also doing uh, music with his daughter in the band called the Beautiful- A Beautiful Liturgy.
1: You almost got it. Yep. Good job.
0: <laughs> what did I get wrong? Sorry,
1: No, it's all right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, Rich Kirkpatrick and his daughters, Emily Joel. Um, and together they form a beautiful liturgy. Um, Rich has been around, you know, as a worship leader, um, and kind of a, a mentor to worship leaders and a blogger. Um, I had a chance to meet him, uh, at the all about worship retreat. Gosh, probably seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I can't remember how long ago it's been, but it's been a while. And, uh, He and I have maintained contact ever since, but um, he's kind of one of those movers and shakers. And um, he and I have way too much in common. Uh, So um, you'll hear that once Emily kind of has to go to work, which I think is uh, kind of a beautiful real-life situation that occurs when Mm -hmm. you interview somebody. um, He and I uh, probably talked for another 45 minutes that you won't hear on the interview. And maybe the Patreons, the Patreon folks will, but... um, Just about all the things that we have in common, whether it's kids, ADD, um, leading worship. um, Anyway, I think it's a fun interview, and uh, I guess we could just shut up and let it speak for itself. All
0: right, let's dive right into the interview with Joe Brookhouse and A Beautiful Liturgy.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the interview. Uh, We're going to be joined today by a a band called A Beautiful Liturgy. And I have a a connection with one of the members of the band, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, their eponymous EP that was released earlier this year. Um, So also obviously called A Beautiful Liturgy. We're going to talk about how that came together, talk about the collaborative process, and talk about uh, what liturgy is and, uh, and maybe most importantly, what is intergenerational worship? So just kind of a heads up to the things we'll be talking about. So I want to welcome Emily Joel and Rich Kirkpatrick, the two people who make up a beautiful liturgy. Welcome to the podcast today.
2: Hi, it's an honor to be here.
3: We're happy to be here. It's, it's a nice, uh, you're West Coast too, so we're not snowed in. <laughs>
1: no, but I had snow last week. And the week before, yeah, Portland, Portland, we got snow um, up here. And for folks who don't know the West coast, you don't get much snow up here. We get half inch of snow. The city literally stops. People don't go anywhere. People left their cars on the side of the road and walked home. Um, So that's anyway, that's a bit of weather for people who don't care. But but for those of (laughs) us on the West coast, I mean, we're like, really? Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but one thing I want to uh, make sure people are aware is that the two of you are actually related, and maybe you can talk to me about what a beautiful liturgy is, who you are, and why you are working together. Who wants to take that?
3: Well, I, I'll let Emily tell the story of how we started. Yeah. But you know, we've we've sung. She's led worship with me um, since she was about thirteen years old, and. um so, you know, it's bound to happen eventually, I guess. But nothing that we either expected to happen. But, Definitely. Yeah. But you, you tell how we actually start.
2: You didn't even mention that I'm your daughter. Oh, yeah.
3: Emily is <laughs> my daughter. I, I, so it's not that I, I, I didn't pick a random, a random 13-year-old to start singing with me back in the day, <laughs> uh, nine, nine years ago, just so you know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It's going to
3: become a very Uh, different, very different interview at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So,
2: okay. um, But yeah, so we have been leading worship together for a long time. Um, And personally, I have written songs on my own. Um, I I released like an EP when I was 17 years old. um, And I've just mostly uh, recently written like not church music like what some people call mainstream but um I also have a huge heart for worship but I've never really had success with like finishing a worship song on my own that I was happy with um and my dad on the other hand he's he's written worship songs for a while um But it just so happened, like, one day he was just sitting at the piano in the house, like, trying to rework this hymn, Oh, To Be Like Thee, like, a song that would be based off of that. And I was in my room. I think I was probably playing my guitar, (laughs) like, doing my own thing. And he asked, like, hey, like, do you uh, want to look at this song that I'm working on? I I might uh, need some advice about it. And I'm like, okay. And he plays it for me, and I'm like, well what if you did this for the melody here? Um, What if you changed this lyric so it makes a little more sense? Like this metaphor is cool, but it doesn't really make sense in a modern context. Um, But the thing that was interesting is um, I don't know these old hymns. I maybe know like a few of the popular ones that we still like would sing, like with modern worship. But um, my dad knows like a lot of these hymns already, like the melodies are stuck in his head. But I just went into it looking at these beautiful lyrics and thinking, wow, like we need like this kind of substance in our worship. Um, So I was able to look at it at a different perspective, um, not having that melody in my head to help rework it to still keep the integrity of the beautiful lyrics of the song and what the song represents.
3: See, I I remember it more as, you know, help me finish this thing. think has a decent idea so. <laughs> but she came in and, and exactly what she said it was and it worked so well um it, it it was like wow this this is a great collaboration uh and not not expected whatsoever no. not planned and um we so we ended and finished writing that song and like you guys actually put that song on um your um your uh, sampler yeah recently, it's right still, so it's we were, still available as of today
1: So we're very
3: thankful thankful (laughs) for that. But, but Mm -hmm. you know, it came off really nice. And so we, from there, just talked about, um, you know, doing this more. And so we ended up, and then, of course, liturgy is new to us. So we ended up starting writing actual stuff for liturgy, too. Yeah.
1: Now, when I hear the word liturgy, um, people who listen to the podcast know I grew up Catholic. And so when I hear, think of the word liturgy, you know, I think of Catholic liturgy um, very ritual based, uh, response, uh, responsive. Um, so it's in the title there. So what's, what part does liturgy actually play in the music that you create?
3: Oh, I think it's, um, the context that we lead worship in right now is in a a Lutheran church, very similar to the Mm. Catholic liturgy. There's really not a lot of difference there Mm -hmm. sacramental for those who don't know, you know, you just, you have the word and table as a center of the Sunday, not, anything else really and the music is there to support the prayers and the response and so for instance one of the songs that um i think is going to be featured in you know somewhere in this um in january somewhere don't know what i'm supposed to say yet but i think worship leader magazine is going to have it in their sampler but it's called um uh lord have mercy a modern kyrie. so basically where you would do kyrie in a catholic mass or lutheran or episcopalian or whatever the Methodist, you know, might even follow this, um, is where we would put that song. But yet we wrote it in a way that, that was personal, too. So yeah. um, the Kyrie is just as as you would know it, you know. Uh,
2: Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy.
3: Yeah. And, but then the rest of it was something. How do we connect that to be personal to somebody as mm-hmm. well? Um, so we're trying to basically honor where the liturgy comes from and because we're in that context as well. But also bring people who maybe not, you know, either have you know only see it as a stodgy thing they were forced to do, mm-hmm. um or never even experience the richness of what biblically that comes from. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about it, actually. I mean, yeah, we learned a lot because it's not my background.
2: It, I had no idea what liturgy was a few years ago. Uh, but now it's like become such a huge part of like my how I worship and my experience and my family and my church. it's It's really interesting.
1: Now you've heard have you heard the term seven eleven regarding worship songs?
3: Oh yeah. I've heard that one. Um, I've been accused of that many times. Yeah. By certain members of a little bit older than me in, in the church. You know, seven was it seven words eleven times repeated? Is that where right? that's correct, no. right. yeah. And I think (laughs) the truth is, you know, in, in some liturgy, how many times do you say, Holy, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, in the sanctus and all that. So there's kind of a funny thing with that, but what Emily was saying about substance, you know, there is so much in the prayers of a liturgy sometimes that we don't get in our evangelical worship experience that we just, we we actually taught this songwriting class and, and this is a great collaboration too, because she's quite smart, by the way, she reads more books than I read. (laughs) And, um, The idea that you know you've got to write something that's bigger than yourself and and older than you but yet it has to still be part of you so there's this tension that when you're writing church music that you want it not to be centered just on your experience because that's not fair but yet at the same time it has to be from you Mm -hmm. so um and like writing that modern curator for instance um, the lyrics, both of us, kind of really—how would we confess just in honest words that someone off the street would say, "Oh wow, I've, I can relate to those words."
2: Yeah, it's and human.
3: so yeah, and then so then when you get to the Lord have mercy, then they understand I need God, mm. and that's all we're saying is that we need God, and that's what liturgy is trying to do at that point in the service. So yeah, so it's really—it's been a life-changing thing for for me, and I think for Emily too. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, walk me a little bit. I mean, you explained how maybe that first song came together, but what does songwriting look like for you as you're putting the songs together for the EP? Is it follow a, sim- a similar track? Tell me, uh, you know, where, where does it germinate, and what what are your roles?
2: Um, it's very collaborative um, and also purposeful, because um, all of our songs they're either taking from a hymn that we found that really spoke to us or um, purposefully finding, like creating something that fits into liturgy. um, The church calendar. The church calendar. Yeah, sure. And for instance, we wrote a song um, called You're Coming Soon because we specifically wanted to write a song that had to do with Advent. And with that one, we didn't, take from any outside material just we started out by making this list of words and metaphors that had to do with advent like what what makes us think about um what advent really means and it was cool cuz we came up with this weird metaphor that we did not think we would use of a chrysalis um where we're this transformative but dark time where we're waiting yeah, um, And it's represented by this fact that just like the beauty of a butterfly comes from this dark cocoon, um, the beauty of Jesus Christ is on its way in this time. We are anticipating Christ, yeah, we are so, growing. And
3: we thought we'd never use that word, like chrysalis. We'll, yeah. put, we'll put it in there. But ha, putting that in a song is strange. We'll, but we both looked at each other. This is kind of how it really worked. This is why I'm kind of, we didn't think we'd work well together. But you know, it's like, I don't want to get <laughs> my daughter's way because she's, you know, more talented in many ways than I am. And, but this was like, wow, this came together so well. And Emily created these art pieces that she may not think, but I think they're absolutely beautiful that were in. Putting together each song, there was a sense of visually connecting to them. Um, Emily, who has a very good literary story vocabulary, uh, and I have a theology background. And so for us to put it together, um, you know, we're looking at the collaboration, Mm. editing down from starting, though, with the thing that's bigger than us, which was the church calendar, and then, but bring it to a point of where we could relate to it. Yeah. So and we helped each other edit what we were putting on the table to come up with, um, you know, like Chrysalis, you're coming soon, you know, because you could say you're coming soon, 7-Eleven times, like you mentioned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but how do you anchor that with something when a person gets to that that course where they they their their thoughts, you know, in it, and hopefully they listen to it 50 times. I'm um, to sing it 50 times later, and still feel you know something more than just you know. Yeah. What's the next chorus? You know, yeah. the next new song, right? Out there, something that uh, has a little more substantial. That's the whole thing.
1: You know, when we talk, not to to bring it back to that 7-Eleven piece, but as we talk about liturgy and the, and the repetitive nature, uh, like the, the Tazé community for folks who are aware of what that is, the the intention is that. Um, in that repetition, you are worshiping and you're reflecting and you're and you stop thinking about what what are the notes, what are the next words, and you are um you're experiencing that, and with the richness of the hymns, you can get caught up in uh, even with the wonderful theology, you can get caught up in am i singing the am I singing it right, and what's the next word I know when I lead worship with a hymn i'm like i i, I don't memorize those lyrics man i'm I'm yeah. staring at my sheet going, okay, C minor six with a flat five. I don't know what that chord is.
3: I'll
2: play the See, bass I don't, note. Move ahead. I, don't,
3: I think there's a problem when we try to make music be a theological vehicle solely. I think it's story vehicle. Mm-hmm. And this is our problem with our Western faith in general is that we value the word so much that one of my pastors even said this, that our pews are in the rows of a book. Mm -hmm. You know, that we're so much into, you know, the word itself, the actual words, that we forget the story that the words make up of. Mm -hmm. Forest for the trees kind of a situation. Forest for the trees. And so part of our writing, I think, one thing that we really do see eye to eye on is story. What is the Mm ark? So Advent, if you don't understand the word chrysalis, but then you feel the darkness of the song, and then you long for Jesus to come into your life in some way, that is valid prayer. And that's maybe all we could expect, you know, in a four minute period of time yeah. of contemplation, yeah. which, you know, in our culture, we don't understand that. Uh, no. And I think that's kind of where, you know, a lot of groups that do older music as far as reworking, you know, they're looking to preserve theology. Well, I want to preserve the story of that. And that's where like someone like Isaac Watts, his story, by the way, is awesome. Or, you know, a young 26 year old, his dad says, just keep doing it. You know, and we get joy to the world. We get God our help in ages past. Uh, and, um, which Emily knows some of those.
2: She, so. met, she, knows, <laughs> what, she knows
3: joy to <laughs> the world. Yeah. Oh,
2: uh, what is joy to the world? <laughs> At least
1: the words he wrote on that one.
2: Yes. So.
1: Well, um, as you're writing together, it would be hard for me to imagine that as a father daughter or father son or, or any um, parent child collaborative. Peace. There's going to be some form of tension or conflict that occurs, and I'm wondering if, if, if you can think of anything uh, in your working together, where 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 does conflict arise for you two?
2: Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let
3: Emily answer that one. Uh.
2: <laughs> I don't know, like having different schedules or like. Um. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
3: you know, we're we are new at this. It's been, yeah, it it's, hasn't. It's been a year. Of course, most dads who have daughters know it's easy for the daughter to convince you to her side. So, um, <laughs> so I think she has a little bit more of the power in some of the conversations than she realizes at times. Um, plus, I think we also know our strengths for a very while, which has helped us. I know that yeah. she can her her ear for melody is far stronger than mine. Okay. And, and for lyrics, we're more, I'd say we're more equal only because I bring the theology and church history part. Mm-hmm. And so we, we kind of submit in different areas, um, chords, you know, I'm jazz music major.
2: Yeah. I, I definitely I, don't have that. Kind so of <laughs> I said,
3: so I might, I might say, let's try this a chord progression. Um, and she'll say, dad, that sounds hokey. Um, so whenever yeah. that happens, I I can't you know I'm not supposed to win on that argument (laughs) so um we we let it um you know I lean towards her being the front person also of our group because even though we are a duo you know um I like to even call it a a daughter father group because I really want to see the next generation but yeah we are still there behind we're still there um it's One of my friends mentioned this. We need a, a an evolution in worship, not another revolution in worship. We need to not feel like the kids have to have their own thing and they'll never get what we do. We need to be willing to give up what we want to need to give up and allow them in the conversation. And I think that's kind of where this has been a good surprise. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we hope others are inspired by that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it. you make a wonderful point in that uh, if we don't listen to um, what a generation is saying in terms of what resonates with them and what will communicate to them, it's not unlike we inside the church trying to figure out how to communicate to people who aren't a part of the church, that yeah. if we are so generationally insular, then how do we speak to people in other generations in the same way that if we as a, a Christian culture are so insular? then how do we yeah. speak to people outside of the church and, and, and share with them what we think is a, a life and death um, blessing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, you know, I, and I warned you about this question. I, I want you to think about, and, and maybe, uh, and Emily, I'll start with you because I know okay. that you have to leave in less than seven minutes. So as you are, um, Looking at your father and his generation, which happens to be my generation as well, if you there's something that you want to impart to other these other generations about how you experience worship and what you want to see more of or less of mm-hmm. to make it a more meaningful experience, what What does that look like for you?
2: Well, it's interesting to me how one thing that I don't like just all generations are doing and right not just just in worship setting is they try to make it so so much like all the other worship teams in the country all the mm. big uh, like Hillsong or Jesus culture or whatever like we want to emulate what they're doing in our tiny church when in reality um, young people are really we really crave something that's authentic quote authentic yeah, like be yeah. authentic like you know the hashtag with all the hipsters but <laughs> in reality we do crave something that is real and human and when a church really has its own, I'm not saying like all of the popular worship, uh, whether production or songs or styles, whatever is necessarily bad or wrong to use in other church settings. But there comes a point where a real, a real, like the best worship experience is with your family. Uh, when you really feel like you're part of something that's just not only part of this big, collective church, but your group that you're with right now, uh, something that's authentic to, like the prayers are authentic to you guys, like in that church, not trying so hard to look flashy, like we are this huge, fancy place that we're trying to attract people, but really just authentically connecting and fellowship with each other.
1: The way you present that, is your concern that generations are looking at you um as a millennial generation and saying all you care about is flash and yeah um, but what yeah. you're saying is you want substance and you want authenticity mm-hmm. in whatever form that takes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's hard cuz I've had people that I grew up like in youth group with that left the church. Yeah. And they they just couldn't take it anymore. It's it's um and it's really hard cuz they like they can see past that. They can see past I mean, there's good intentions with all the stuff that we do, but we have to take a step back and see, like, we, we want to be able to reach people on a personal level, not just get their uh, them in the seats at church. Right. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think it's really important to have a balance of those things.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Rich, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? You speaking to millennials about what uh, our generation, how we experience
3: worship and what's important to us. I think it's time to give up. The youth group model as church Hmm. and meaning that you know back you know in the seeker sensitive movement it basically was take the youth group out of the church because it works better Mm -hmm. well then once they got older then let's the next kids coming up which is probably our age you know it's like okay so we had 50 years of the youth group and we've taken generations apart um when i think you know the kids say you know dad be who you are dad um you know you know Um, And I think what we're trying to do, you know, uh, I visited one, Emily and I stopped in on one mega church, local, well-known church, and saw one of their extension campuses, and everybody there was my age and yours, right, not Emily's. Everyone on the platform was her age, all dressed the same, singing music that no one there really, you know, was into yeah. But it looked like what you would expect modern worship to look like. But mm-hmm. the people, but the church members who I know this little town, yeah. not to mention it, that there's enough musicians sitting in the 600 people there in this one campus that they could put together three or four musicians and not have to hire in a band yeah. that looks like it. And see, this is the thing I think that I agree with Emily. And, and, and I don't I want to see my kids have an 18 year old. I want to see them, you know, have authentic faith, too, because, you know yes grandchildren are on the docket i hope anyway and you know this is part of what faith's about something we pass on yeah and i think we we look to um music as a throwaway thing and one of the things emily and i looked at each other at and and talked about was we want this to last somehow yeah so why not print it on vinyl you know Uh, why not you know why not uh, make art pieces for it why not look at this as not just a quick business thing that is going to quickly take off but relationships that we get to build with people yeah. over time. Right. And if it and if it serves the local church, if it serves people, you know, the songs we write, you know, I found out that a lot of churches, you know, smaller, they like our songs, but they need piano parts written out. So I'm brushing off my finale skills. I'm mm-hmm. writing some piano parts so that they can give it and they can have their multi-generational worship team yeah. sound like we play them, but yet they're players doing them. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are things that relationships are teaching us. And, mm-hmm. and like, like Emily said, a- authenticity is a is not just what comes out naturally, though. It's what you have to intentionally yeah. want to be mm-hmm. um, as well. So I think quality is still important. Oh, yeah. And I think her generation would say, I want it authentic, but don't suck.
2: <laughs> See, she laughs. That's, yeah. the, that's the
3: quote of the episode right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: authentic but don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> think, but that but you know what? That that gets to the point. You know, there's arguments in different churches about hey, you know, if you're too polished then you're then you're distracting, but if you suck, you distract. So, yeah. Th- there's a place in the middle there where you are, you as a worship leader or part of worship team are worshiping mm-hmm. um but you also can't be so caught up in that emotionalism that you forget that you are ministering to people at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Now, Emily, you have to leave.
2: Mm-hmm. It's it's ten
1: after right now. Yeah, she's yeah. not moving.
2: All right. Well, have a off great the time.
1: It's great to have you here. I'll I'll wrap up with your your dad for a couple of minutes. Well, so Rich, since uh, as we're kind of wrapping up anyway, but just a couple of random questions for you as an artist, because I know that you you're not just singer, songwriter, you know you you have other artistic interests. Um, you've written the um, Six Hats of the Worship Leader book I want to make sure people are aware of that's that I think has been really well received by people. but um what uh, what pushes you as an artist to continue to innovate and to explore new areas without becoming um,
3: stale? I think part of it comes from some of us are just meant to be creators, content creators, or whatever words come out for the modern business world, you know, um, yeah. and it energizes me to uh, write. Um, I've been writing a blog since 2005. Yeah. Which is ancient in blogging years. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, it is. And, uh, and out of that now I'm writing, you know, um, you know, professionally. And one of, of course, one of the sites I love to write for is uh, sharefaith.com. Yeah. My friends there and, and you know, they have far more followers than I have. And it's really great to talk about worship. So part of the, what drives me to create has more to do with uh, the mission of changing lives than it does just the, the platform of it. But yeah, the idea is what motivates me is that uh, I'm not my dream. I don't dream about songs, writing a song or writing a blog post or a book or speaking or doing these things. I, what I dream about is how do I pass on a story to somebody and, and how do I give them something useful? I think for me, that's what drives my creativity. It's a little different, you know, because I have friends, you know, you know, they're percussionists and they dream about percussion, mm. and I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful because those are the guys I want to play on my projects, and, yeah. you know. But I'm the kind of person who, you know, really, um, when I was thinking about refocusing for this next year, I realized, you know, it looks like I do a few things, but what is that one thing that does get me up out of bed and want, you know, I sit at the computer and write or work with Emily to write some more music, uh, and it really is. Um, the relationships and the local church you know, th- that's really my calling. My calling is to to be someone who innovates for the local church and um, is useful in, in a way that helps the local church. yeah and that can't happen but through relationships too so
1: no I'd love to hear that. Last question for you and I didn't uh, I didn't set you up for this at all so guilty pleasure <laughs> what uh, what's something that you enjoy secular religious I don't care whether it's a, a music, movie book tv that if people were aware of it they might disown you
3: well the coffee one is too common but i am a you know so we can talk about that for a second but you know like i have a new coffee machine behind me that's going to be unboxed soon um (laughs) but i would say um i love sci-fi i love star trek and i like star wars so i made everybody mad at me right now no no i'm with you i'm with you so i really love the the you know i love the fact star trek is is one friend of mine said it's a humanistic sermon every episode you know and star wars is basically a a mythological joseph Campbell hero's journey yeah hero's journey it's great and it's a great way to connect and uh it's really our way of our generation. I think you know my fam- my, my daughter, by the way, her guilty pleasure Doctor Who. She that's my daughter's got- too. Yeah, she got us into Doctor Who. In fact, we got. Uh, if you see my Instagram, I took a picture. Her ornament is actually the uh, um, Dalek um, ornament that's on our tree. I just love sci-fi. Uh, we just saw my son and I Assassin's Creed, which is a gaming. So gaming is another guilty pleasure. Yeah, I love Call of Duty, um, and actually for an old guy. I'm not too bad. You know, I'm not like at the top of the pack for sure. No way. But I'm definitely, you know, I'll uh, um, harm some uh, young people on there uh, gleefully from time to time. (laughs) That's excellent. See, I'm a
1: lousy (laughs) gamer. I used to play a lot. And um, uh, as my son gets older, because he's only eight now and he's getting more into games, I'm going to have to sharpen my skills because I don't last. I don't last. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> eight
3: is a perfect age too that's got to be fun
1: oh, it's um it's amazing it's yeah. yeah that's something to talk about after i'm done recording oh but I, yeah
3: i just love yeah and raising kids and i should just say when i was working with my daughter i i'm the luckiest man alive i think and she's a good good business partner so our beautiful liturgy music company or publishing company is actually a, a partnership That we, you know, um, so when we create, we know that we are truly partners in what we're doing. So it's business partnership, not just a family thing. That's excellent.
1: Now, I just want to remind folks as we're wrapping up, uh, the the EP is a beautiful liturgy, and uh, I've provided the all the links that are appropriate to get to um, their social media feeds. But you can also go directly to the website and click on Shop in the upper right hand corner. And you'll get to where you get the white vinyl copy of the EP, which is gorgeous. And there's some other um, pieces there that you can pick up. So folks, I want to encourage you to check it out, as well as um, some of the other um, things that they're both involved in, both uh, Emily's graphics work and uh, Rich's, um, uh, not just his blog, but also the six hats of the worship leader. Some, some excellent stuff these folks are, are working on together. But sir, it's great to have you on. I wish Emily was here to say goodbye. But um, it's great to catch up with you.
3: Very good. Our, our uh, pleasure.
1: You want to start talking or do you want me to start talking?
0: <laughs> uh, whose turn is it, Joe? Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think it, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, we, well, tell me what you thought of the interview. We're back.
0: We're back and i thought it was a good interview i i um
1: it sounds like you're going to couch that with something you, like hey, it's all right joe come on
0: however no there's no butter however all i was going to say is uh emily's energy was apparent oh yeah yeah uh her her laugh was deliberate and contagious yes it was. yeah um and uh i think that there was a good dynamic there because i think uh rich on his own is very stoic and very um, you know, deliberate, you know, he's, he's used to giving talks and going to conferences. So, um, having her in there injected a bit of that energy (laughs) that he's like, Whoa, wait a second. I got to let Emily talk now.
1: No, I, I really, um, it's kind of interesting when I prepare for some interviews, I'm not necessarily certain where it's going to go. Sometimes I very deliberately guide it and other times it just kind of goes, but, um, Hearing what Emily had to say about what it means to her, what worship means to her, um what's important, what's not important, I think it's really useful uh one we should we need to ask the question, and two we actually have to listen to the answer and um to hear mm-hmm. that it's not as different between the two as one might think, but maybe we tend to project onto other people um our assumptions and we maybe don't even bother to ask the questions because we think we already have the answer. At least that's one of the things that I took out of that.
0: Yeah. There's one thing I took, we'll probably share a graphic about it was the, the one quote that he mentioned sort of just on the fly was that we need, and I think he was quoting somebody else, but uh, we we need an evolution of worship, not a revolution of worship. So talking uh, cross generational generationally with worship and, not sort of segregating, oh, youth people down the hall, you know, adults upstairs. Where he's saying, how do we, how do we function as a body in liturgy, in worship together? You
1: know, it's funny. You know, for uh, we go up all day on this, but it, when I think about um, my involvement in my congregation, or you know, the different congregations I've been in, you know, there's always a question about, well, how do we get the youth involved? You know, and I think. You know, there's a tendency to oversimplify what people in in the younger generations want want to experience, but it always seems to be, and that's I think that's that paradigm that we've been living in that Rich is talking about, a focus on well, how do you know, well they just want to do their thing, so how do we how do we get them to go do their thing, and mm-hmm. not necessarily yeah. how do we bring them in to appreciate you know to worship with us how, because building relationships i think you'll hear many times is what what they want as much as anything so if we allow that and community right so if we allow that kind of paradigm to die that says hey let's keep them segregated and say well no let's bring it back together i think that also helps build a bridge where you know uh, the time a lot of young folks head to college they they just drop out of the church completely because they don't necessarily have a youth group uh that's carrying on and there wasn't enough of a community to um keep them engaged in church. I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think um if you don't have them as part of regular liturgy on a regular basis, they they don't know how to function even as adults when they leave. You're right. Like once the youth group stops after grade twelve here or a senior in the US, then Uh, what do they do they have to all all of a sudden reinvent themselves as an adult and they haven't really changed age-wise like some of our like my daughter who's 17 who's going off to bible college in the fall she's just going to be 18. yeah and you know and thankfully um and not to pat myself on the back because it was it was some hard work to, to walk through engaging the youth in our church but we have three worship teams and I no longer lead, so I'm not even on one, and two of my children are on the adult worship teams. Wow, yeah. And so so my son plays drums with one adult band and plays guitar for another, and my daughter sings on one, and um, we're not even involved, but my kids are. And these are the main church service um, worship teams. So they're involved in liturgy with, with adults and mothers and fathers and you know, professional musicians, and you know, they're they're in the mix. And Baden's 15 or just turned 16, and my daughter's 17.
1: It just helps with that transition. They're vested in the other people in the church, and the church is vested in them, and see them as contributing members. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely agree with what with uh, what that whole evolution versus revolution component. Now it's mm-hmm. a matter of uh, it, how do how do you affect that
0: yeah and i guess the revolution part of it is like it has to be totally different we need a new thing all the time i know that's a big issue in churches right now i read another article about how you know the celebrity worship pastor is usually a washed out ccm artist in some church in you know nashville or brentwood or whatever. um brentwood is nashville i realized yeah yeah um or georgia or florida or wherever and they have to pump out new songs in a sort of a presentation way, in a performance way. So there's always new songs coming out to try to stay hip when the church just wants to sing congregationally. So there's still a sort of dichotomy going on. And, you know, and again, like, I mean, we could go off all day about the different types of ministries that are out there right now. Some that I think are spectacular. Shane and Shane would be one of them just out to serve the church, Um, not really pretentious in any way, Um, good reach, get others involved. And then, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm concerned about Bethel Church Redding, California because it's a movement, it's not, and music is a catalyst for Mm it. Um, But there's a lot of theological um, and experiential issues I see that bleed into um, more of our charismatic churches here, even in Atlantic Canada that are getting drawn into things that are anti-biblical, uh, whether it's intended or otherwise. So there's a whole uh, spectrum of music out there. And unfortunately, it makes money and it looks sexy. And it you got, you know, quote-unquote, you know, good-looking, highly gifted people at the front end. But the back end, I feel, has some flaws to it. So um, I'm concerned and I'm con- encouraged all at the same time, if that makes sense. It does.
1: I think... We- uh, that that could be a, a, an episode by itself with absolutely no, uh, <laughs> with no guests on it. Just talking about emotionalism uh, in worship, something that I think we, we all tend to be susceptible to, you know, the difference between head and heart and where those two meet mm-hmm. um, to create the right worship service. Even talking about yeah. the balance between authenticity and quality, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> be yeah. authentic, but don't suck.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, so, and maybe that's a uh a precursor to what this episode's going to be called, right
1: <laughs> quite possibly, yeah
0: <laughs> there you go. Well, um, before we go, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and for um, continuing to walk this journey with us. Uh, stay tuned for some of the episodes that are coming up. Um, I think it's safe to say we can, we can even give teasers out of who's, who's coming up on the podcast shortly. And um, you know, as we navigate what 2017 is going to look like, um, we're looking at getting together uh, in a location at some point this year. That's our goal and um you know we 're we 're already appreciative of those who are contributing that are going to make that happen so that we Amen. can be more en- more engaged with people uh in person in public and be able to to um, to serve people better through the podcast. Um, one note before we leave, uh, which was funny, is I got an email from a lady who knows our family, and she was concerned about uh, me as a pastor. Again, she's in her almost 70 years old because I'm into the rock music scene. <laughs> and she was really concerned about, uh, you know, my influence and what that means and and the evils of rock and roll and stuff like that. But then I thought about it and I was talking with my wife and we think that she's convinced that we're actually running an FM rock radio station. Oh, because our because our name is Frequency.FM. I think she thinks that I'm like, a secular radio station as a DJ.
1: (laughs) I I get that. Sure. Well, I'll be praying for you and your rock and roll soul going to burning
0: hell. (laughs) It it did bring back memories of, of, you know, burning CDs. And, like, I didn't even grow up in that. I grew up in Secularville for 17 years. So, I know all those (laughs) rocks. Right, right. That's awesome. (laughs) But— Anyways, I thought that was a funny thing to end on because, you know, these are real things that happen when you're a pastor. People will give you all sorts of criticism. And, you know, I always usually point people to to Psalm 150 because it ends with clashing symbols. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, clashing symbols are usually like 110 decibels plus, which is higher than any rock song that's ever produced. So (laughs) Um, that's just a little side joke. But um, yeah, the reality is, I mean, there's perceptions out there all the time. And it's how you respond to them that um, will separate those that are maybe old enough or been around the block enough to use some wisdom in dealing with people, especially church people, um, and not just firing off a, you know, reactive, uh, I I don't need to deal with you because you're out of touch. Yeah, that always goes over well. (laughs) Yes. But on that note. We're gonna we're gonna rock and roll right out of here, <laughs> and uh, be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Frequency FM. Uh, you may have noticed we've f- done our final alterations on our Facebook page. Um, we are now just called Frequency.FM. FM, um, and thanks to Fre- to Facebook for actually verifying our page now, so um, mm-hmm. that 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 ranks us a little bit higher in the search uh, for content, which I think is wonderful. Um, so, um, be sure to connect on there. We really appreciate it. If you share things that we post, if you appreciate what we're doing, uh, because most of the time Facebook, um, people don't see our page unless they actually get notified of things. That's just the way the Facebook world is. And I don't think it's smart to have to spend money to give people the content that should be there for free. Amen. So, yeah. So use your social reach and, and share and like, and comment we love to hear from you and if you can rate us on itunes uh that would be even better and uh, we look forward to the next time we talk to you
1: i well he does i don't really care (laughs) have a good night people
0: (laughs) we still love you Charles. have a good night take care y'all